following sermon is a ministry of Hilton Head Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at hiltonheadpca.com. It's always good to finish things. That's not a strength that I have uh, in my life. I love to start things. I really enjoy starting projects and starting initiatives. The completion of them gets a little monotonous and boring, and so I usually get distracted in the middle of it and move on to something else, leaving somebody else to finish. But I'm happy to say we're finishing a series on Mark, uh, that we are coming through and we've looked at the book of Mark, and we've been looking at it from the perspective of saying, what does it mean to follow the servant king? What does it mean uh, to see Christ in all of his glory, all of his kingliness, all of his majesty, all of his power and justice and might for who he is, the king of the universe, but yet also see him in his meekness, in his gentleness, to see these qualities which can almost never be brought together in earthly leaders, uh, but were somehow brought together in the beauty of Christ. And we said that in Mark's gospel, uh, chapter 10, verse 45, was the key verse that we were highlighting, that it said Jesus Christ came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And off of that, we said, therefore, if we are followers of Jesus Christ, disciples of him, we need to hold his same values. We need to look at him, have his same mission. Therefore, for the church, we are called to serve others. Uh, That we're called to, to come and to give away our lives, not in the same way Christ did. He doesn't call us necessarily to die, especially not a death of his, which was for the forgiveness of our sins. But in some sense, we do have to die regularly. Die to our own passions, hopes, and dreams, and desires. To submit them to the hopes and dreams and desires of somebody else. To serve them even when it's hurtful or painful to us. When our feelings and emotions betray us. When uh, we, we wrestle with these things. Um, Christ has called us to serve and to give our lives for many. And so we're wrapping it up this week. And it's interesting, I thought it uh, somewhat ironic in God's Uh, funny economy, that we're finishing this with the resurrection, looking at the beauty and the doctrine and the theology of the resurrection of Jesus Christ the week before we begin a series on the birth and the advent of Christ in the Christmas season. And I think what really struck me in the middle of that was if you take Christ's life and put it into four parts, his birth, his life, his death, and then his resurrection, the four of those have to have one another to hold together. You can't take one and pull it out and think the other three can hold together. But the only way that we can fully understand the birth of Jesus Christ is to understand why he came into the world. That he came to die and that he came to then be resurrected and to ascend into heaven. You can't understand the resurrection of Jesus Christ because in it you have to understand his full humanity and his full deity. And you have to understand that from the fact that he was born in a manger to a woman Mary there and was in full humanity. And so all of these blend together in their perfections uh, and in their life. So we're going to finish this series uh, looking at Mark chapter 16. We're going to be looking at the first eight verses uh, of Mark's uh, treatment of the resurrection. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me over there. And as we're doing that, let us ask God's blessing on the reading and teaching of his word. Let's pray. Father, we do come now humbly and ask that you would send your spirit, that you would teach us, and we would hear you today. To Christ be the glory. Amen. This is the very word of God. 
When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome both uh, bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on, the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He's not here. See the place where he was, they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he, go, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as, I told, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for fear and trembling, or for trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. This is God's very word. What a great picture. After the grief of the cross and of Calvary, these women come to minister to Christ just as they'd ministered to him in his life. They were going to honor him and minister to him even in his death. You can imagine as they came to the tomb, they knew where it was, so they understood what they were coming to, and they realized, we can't roll this stone back. It's too heavy for us. Joseph of Arimathea rolled it in front, and it was sealed with a seal. And as they came to the tomb, you can only imagine in a mind's eye what they witnessed. The Roman guards there who had been maybe fallen asleep still there on their watch. The stone moved away, the seal broken. And maybe they thought that his body had been stolen. Maybe they thought it was a cruel trick from the Romans or the Jewish leadership of the day. And I would imagine with great timidity and great curiosity, they entered into the tomb. And Christ evidently was laid on the left-hand side of the tomb. And there was no one there. But yet they saw to their right a young man who was clothed in white garment. And he spoke to them and he said, I know who you're looking for. The Jesus of Nazareth who you're looking for, he isn't here. And then he made these profound three words, brought them together. He is risen. He is risen. Christ is risen from the grave. Christ is no longer in there. There there are no bones. There are no ashes. There's nothing there. The tomb was empty. Christ wasn't there. He is risen from the dead. There's not an article of our faith that is in more jeopardy of being lost in our day and age than the theology and the article of our faith for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is under attack Everywhere that you turn and look. In the mainline churches of our own country and in the churches of Europe, they have lost the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They have lost the supernatural, amazing mystery and miracle of his rising from the dead. Some friends of mine who I grew up with, quite honestly, attend a church in Charlotte. And I was talking to them about the church that they attended And they said, well, it's a wonderful church. We go there, not often, but at least on the major holidays, um, Christmas and Easter. Um, And they were there at Easter, and as they were leaving, 
She said it was a really nice service, but we spent the entire ride home making sure that our children understand, understood that this whole resurrection thing was just a wonderful fable. And it wasn't really true. And churches, even on our own island, and in Bluffton, teach and preach that Jesus didn't really have to be resurrected from the dead. It doesn't matter if he raised from the dead. I remember sitting uh, with a pastor of another denomination, even in the mountains of North Carolina. And he said, Bill, it doesn't matter. The resurrection of Christ doesn't matter as long as people believe uh, in, a res- in their own resurrection. As long as they believe uh, that they'll be resurrected from the dead, then that's going to be good enough. And it doesn't matter if Christ was a historic figure. It didn't matter if he really lived uh, or if he really died or if he was really raised from the dead. They said those are old fables. Those are simple primitive religious beliefs that try to make modern people and postmodern people feel better about their lives. That you're not just lost in this massive universe. And so we've created these stories. Our universities assault our young people when they step on the campuses, even those that would hang uh, the moniker of a Christian university or college. These things are under assault. And so the question has to be then, what does it matter? What does it matter that Jesus is risen from the dead, or does it matter at all? Is there anything that we're supposed to take from this theology, from this truth, that Jesus Christ, in bodily form, was raised from the dead? Does it have any impact on your life at all this week? You don't have to raise hands. You don't have to answer uh, this question. But I wonder, cognitively, truly, between last Sunday when you were here and today when you got here, did you consciously consider the resurrection of Jesus Christ and its implications for your life for whatever it is that you were facing that day? For most of you, you'd say no. You, you went through the week. You moved right on through the week. And this incredibly important, foundational part of our theology, we don't even think about. We don't even consider day to day. There are certain venues where we consider it. This week's been, it's been a tough week in many ways, pastorally for me, um, of sitting and and being with friends whose loved ones are dying. The resurrection all of a sudden becomes an incredibly rich theology when you have someone who's dying. And so we take it and we compartmentalize it and we say, oh, I believe in the resurrection of the dead. And it's only when something is going wrong, when someone has cancer or someone is killed in an accident or something happens tragically, then we pull it out, we dust it off, and we bring it back and go, oh, isn't that an awesome doctrine? That it gives us the hope of seeing that person again one day. I believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Or, or we wait for Easter uh, and we sing the great hymns of the faith then around Easter time. But then we kind of put it back away and we shelve it. What we're going to talk about today in the moments that we have together. Or six or seven uh, things. Implications and truths to be drawn from the truth, the the theology, or the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So there's going to be six things that we're going to look at today, and I'm more or less going to list them for you. We really don't have time to fully unpack these things. But what I want you to do is I want you to take them, and I want you to question them. I I don't want you any Sunday, I I, I get up here, I don't want you to accept everything I say carte blanche. 
You need to take it home. You need to wrestle it down. You need to take the scriptures that I give you, uh, the different parts and other scriptures that you know so well, and go, okay, is this true? And if it's true, then how am I going to appropriate it into my life this week and next week? And how am I going to share it with the folks around me? Because, folks, if the resurrection of Jesus Christ is probably the most important tenet of our faith, for Paul says, if Christ wasn't resurrected from the dead, then we are the most to be pitied. He said, if Christ wasn't resurrected, then we of all people should be pitied in all humanity. For we have placed our hope and our faith in something that just isn't real. It has no power to accomplish what it promises. So, if it is that important, I would challenge you this week, even as you begin to prepare your hearts uh, to celebrate the coming of Jesus Christ. Know why he came into the world. Believe it. Wrestle it down. And do some fact-checking on me. And... My hope and expectation is you'll find what I'm saying is true. And the first thing that we pull out from he is risen from this beautiful doctrine of the resurrection is this. The resurrection of Jesus Christ proves his divinity. The resurrection of Jesus Christ proves his divinity. Jesus was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. That he was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness. He was declared to be that. And then Paul said, now here's how he was declared to be that. By his resurrection from the dead. That the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It proved that he was the very son of God. Romans 1, 4. Paul says that Christ Jesus was declared the son of God with power by the resurrection of the dead. And so the resurrection is the proof of the atoning character of the death of Christ and his deity and his divine exaltation. That Jesus Christ had to raise from the dead in order to show his true divinity. If he didn't raise from the dead, then all of his claims of equality with God, all of his claims to be the son of God, would have gone for naught. That's why it's so important that he was vindicated, that his, his life and his deity were vindicated By his being raised from the dead. By the spirit of God raising Christ from the dead in that way. That you see he is. We know that he is who he says that he is by his resurrection. It's a proof. If people go how do you know that Jesus Christ is really who he says that he is. Point to an empty tomb. So he's not in the tomb. He's resurrected. He's in heaven. He's there. You realize that's what separates him from every other religious leader of every other uh, religion in the world. Muhammad never claimed that. Buddha has never claimed that. No one else has ever claimed that. Only Christ has claimed that. And he followed through on his promises. And he was vindicated and he was authenticated in that way. As the very son of God. Divine in his nature. For he was fully God and fully man. Brought together uh, in perfection. One writer put it this way. Actually it was impossible for Jesus' body to remain in the grave. Just as it was impossible for the divine nature of Jesus to die. Because God cannot die. So it was impossible for the human nature of Jesus to remain dead. Because of its union with his divine. Peter said on the day of Pentecost. God raised him up. Loosing the pangs of death. Because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Isn't that awesome? 
Think about that. The resurrection of Jesus Christ shows us that death itself could not keep him down. It couldn't keep him down. I, I love the imagery of this day to day. Think about it. When Jesus wept in his humanity, he had the loss of Lazarus. What did he say, though? He just spoke at death. He just basically, in his deity, said, Hey, death, you don't get to hold Lazarus. Lazarus, come out of the grave. It didn't take extra effort on his part. Or the story in Luke 8 of Jairus' daughter. She was dead. The parents were grieving. And Jesus just said, Hey, daughter, get up. He, just, he spoke to death and said, what are you to me? You can't hold me, and you cannot hold anyone who is mine. And so as you face life and you face things, realize this, that Jesus' resurrection from the dead establishes him as divine. And that's who we serve, a divine king, God himself, not to be trifled with at all. Make sure you don't diminish that, okay? Make sure you don't diminish who we're dealing with here. It's so important and vindicated by his resurrection. The resurrection not only assures us of his divinity, it assures us of our own justification. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, 17, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. If Christ hasn't been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. If there are bones in a tomb somewhere, you don't have the hope of heaven. There's no forgiveness for your sins. Christ had to be raised from the dead. That his resurrection didn't pay for our sins. It was his perfect life and then his death on the cross. But what the resurrection did is it was God the Father saying, I accept your perfect sacrifice on behalf of all of those whom I've given to you. I accept it. By God accepting, by raising him from the dead, it is God's way of saying, I accept the beautiful, perfect sacrifice that you've given, and therefore we have hope. If you want to know why the resurrection of Jesus Christ is so important, we would not be forgiven if it wasn't for that. We'd still be lost in our sins and our transgressions. We'd still be wrestling around trying to find our way out through some religion or another. But you remember what justification is. Justification, that great doctrine, is the incredible cosmic exchange where Jesus' perfect righteousness is given and accounted and credited to us. And our sin and our death is credited to him. And now we stand, for we have become the very righteousness of God. That because he raised from the dead, because God said, I accept your sacrifice, son, on their behalf, that exchange took place in our lives. That Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification, Romans 4, 25. It's not that the resurrection accomplished our justification, but it rather assures us of our justification. Assurance of salvation rests upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection, as one writer put it, the resurrection is not an afterthought. It is absolutely essential to our salvation. Augustus Toplady wrote these words, His resurrection 
is a matter of endless consolation to believers, as it was a proof that the sacrifice of himself, which he offered to God, and the atonement he made for our offenses, was accepted in the court of heaven. That's good news. There's no fear in that then. When we have a time of confession and we say, friends, hear the good news. Today, your sins are forgiven. Declaring that statement to you, it is based upon one thing and one thing only. God accepted his sacrifice. And he's raised from the dead. And he's standing right there, which leads us into the third point is this. The resurrection not only assures us of his divinity, it not only assures us of our justification, but it assures us that we have a living Savior who intercedes for us. That we have a living Savior who intercedes for us, who's standing uh, and there at the right hand of God the Father. And that when he is there, it says in Hebrews, the writer of the Hebrews says this, that the writer says that he always lives to make intercession for us. Or in Romans 8, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God who indeed is interceding? For us. And you know what he's telling God the Father? I paid for them. Their sins are forgiven. They're mine. My name, their names are written upon my hand. There's that beautiful picture in the Old Testament. I hope so many of you are taking some of these 360 seminars. Uh, especially ones that you may go, ah, what in the world? I mean, Christ in the Old Testament. That sounds like a seminary class. And well, it is. And you know what? You should be in seminary. Because there is something absolutely beautiful about the priestly office of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament, that the high priest dressed in all of his robes where he had the 12 tribes uh, of Israel written upon him and he would go into the very presence of God. Well, Christ, your high priest, resurrected and ascended, has your names written upon his hands and he presents them to the Father regularly on your behalf. Father, take care of them. Father, care for them. I'm resurrected and I'm standing next to you, Father. And I am here and I am active and I'm alive and I am working on behalf of my people. That's good news, isn't it? It's nice to know when we're in a state that you would hope that your representatives in a state government or in a federal government are working on behalf of their constituents. You want to know that Tim Scott has in mind the best interest of South Carolina, not only of our nation, but even the best interest of South Carolina in mind as he's up legislating uh, in Washington, D.C., But you know what's even more important is to know that the God of the universe, the second person, is standing next to his father, the judge of all things, and he has in mind the best for his constituency, that is all of his children, who he has and died for and saved. He's there. So this week, no matter what you're going through, it doesn't have to be the death of a loved one. It can be the struggle of just making it another day. It can be... Bills are hard to pay. It can be you're not doing well in school. It can be tension in your house. Whatever it is. The doctrine of the resurrection says that Jesus Christ is standing next to his father concerned about you. And he speaks on your behalf. He presents to the father you and your needs to him. That's awesome news, isn't it? So many of you feel alone You feel that no one hears you. You feel that that whatever you're going through is trivialized. And Jesus is standing there in his resurrected body saying it's not trivial. Your life is not trivial. I died for you. And I'm resurrected for you. And I live for you now. And one day I'm going to come back again and get you. And make all things right. But in the middle of that, the resurrection assures us that we are serving 
a Savior who is alive and intercedes for us. The fourth thing is that the resurrection of Jesus Christ guarantees our future resurrection. It guarantees our future resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul and his incredible words and sermon. He makes these statements and he basically says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits. And then his coming those who belong to Christ. I love Paul's almost mockery of death. By the power of the Spirit in him, you could hear him speaking almost Christ's words. But when the perishable will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of death is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. It's so hard to deal with death. But everybody has to wrestle with it. That's the one thing we all have in common, right? You've heard that said. It's a platitude. Well, everybody has this in common. We're all going to die one day. Well, what do you do with that reality? What do you do with the reality that, yes, we are going to die one day? For a whole group of people in the world today, they've come up with this theology that says, well, uh, this is called annihilationism, where at the end of our lives, you're just annihilated. There's no afterlife. There's no soul knowledge. It's just you're annihilated. It's gone. Well, if that's the case, who the Who cares how we live now? There's no eternal glory and no eternal judgment. It just ends. Enjoy the rest of your week. Go for it. Who cares? Why have a conscience? But, and even some sadly within the Christian faith have moved in that direction. Evangelicals have gone there because it's too hard to deal with death. But for the believer... Christ raised from the dead. And in his raising from the dead, do you know what kind of body he had when he was raised? A physical body. That the disciples and those who were around him saw him and they touched him. Thomas touched him and felt him. He, he has a body that has substance and mass. But it's a different kind of mass. Because how did he enter into the room uh, where the disciples were? Do you remember that story? You talk about a cool story. I mean, one that Disney would be like, this is really, we've got to figure out how to make this. It says that he just went through the door, through the wall. The wall was wood, probably. And he went through it. How? In his body, it was glorified. It was a different substance. It was a different mass. It was a different something about it, yet it was his body. And he's saying to us, one day, when I come back again, I'll raise you up, and you'll gain your glorified body in that same manner. He's the first fruits. He's the guarantee. Because he was raised from the dead, guess what that means? All who believe in Christ will be raised from the dead one day. When the trumpet shall sound, and the dead in Christ will be raised first, and they'll join him in the air, and then those who are still alive will join him 
Oh, what a glorious day that's going to be. And the only way that we have a hope about that is because Jesus did it first. Here's a little aside, just a little thought to get your minds going today on this dreary, wet day. Think about heaven for a moment. What do you consider when you think about heaven right now? Most of us think of it in cloud form. It's just a bunch of spirits kind of floating around and all of that. Jesus ascended in his body. And therefore, heaven is spatial. Heaven has space in it. For there is a physical, glorified body standing next to Christ. Just let that sort of mess with your mind today and consider it. If you ever want to think a little bit more about what it's like in heaven in that way, C.S. Lewis's wonderful work, uh, The Great Divorce, uh, is a simple treatment, not about marriage, uh, but about what uh, heaven and the new heaven and the new earth will be like. So when you are facing maybe your own death or the death of a loved one, know that the resurrection of Jesus Christ guarantees our future resurrection for those who are in Christ. The resurrection also is our source of new life. It's the source of our new life here. Paul wrote in Romans 6.4, Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism unto death, in order that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we might walk in newness of life. That because of the resurrection, we've been called to live a different life, a new life by its power. That so that as Jesus was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we one day will be raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. That's a true statement. But we are raised, what he's saying is the power of the resurrection now. Yes, it's pointing to the future resurrection, but it's also saying to you right now, you've been given a new life to live now. By the power of the resurrection. The same power that resurrected Christ from the dead. Guess what? It's the power that lives within you. Isn't that awesome? I mean, think about that for a moment. The Spirit of God, which spoke into the death of their son, Jesus, and said, now come out of the tomb. Come out of death into life. That power, that incredible power, lives and resides in you into the newness of life. He's called us to this because of his resurrection. The sixth point, not only are we called by the power of the resurrection, it gives us a new life, but it gives us a motive for holiness. It gives us a motive for holiness in the midst of this new life. Colossians 3 says this, If then we have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. You see what he's saying? Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In Ephesians it says that Jesus has been raised from the dead and seated above all rule and authority. And now all of those who are in Christ are also seated with him above all rule and authority. And that we're now called to live our life, a life that reflects that with the power of that. If you're wrestling with sin in your life, guess what power you have at your disposal? The power of the resurrection at your disposal. That it calls us to live and a motive to live this life of holiness. And there's so many more things that we could do. That's six things for you to ponder and to consider and to think about. This resurrection of Jesus Christ is so vitally important to our lives. Remind yourself of it. Remind others of it. 
It was interesting, I was talking to my mom, and I'll end with this. Becky Peters' parents, interesting in a small world, were good friends with my parents as I was growing up. Uh, the Finns and the McCutcheons knew one another. And I called mom or texted her and said, hey, Becky's mom is about to pass away. And mom, I could tell, she wrote back with tears in her eyes. She goes, yeah, I guess Christ will be there to greet her. But your dad will be there too. And I can't wait to see them both one day. That fast. The hope of the resurrection. We get to see Christ. And to see all of our loved ones again one day in a place where it says there is no more, more goodbyes, no more sorrow, no more tears. And that's only available to you. Only available to you if you believe in Jesus Christ and in the power of his resurrection. Let's pray. God, we come and we, we ask that you would unfold this mystery more and more to us. That you would show us the, the depths of it. How to apply it to even today. That Christ, he's risen. He's not here. Just like he told us. It validates him. Gives us the assurance of our salvation. Gives us a hope for a future with him forever and a new heaven and a new earth. Would you help us to appropriate the resurrection into our daily lives? And to share that hope with a world that for many don't even know they need to hear it. We give you praise in Christ's name. Amen.